Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. Your mercy endures forever. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's Lent. What are you giving up? What are you giving up for Lent? That's kind of the nerdy small talk among Episcopalians and other liturgical Christians about this time of year. What are you giving up for Lent? Some people take something on rather than give something up. It's a good practice, it's a rich tradition. But the problem is with giving up something for Lent is actually the same problem that giving something up is meant to address. When we start comparing what we're giving up for Lent, then that has a tendency to become a sort of gold star, a practice of white-knuckle one-upsmanship. What can we do the most, the best? I know I've, I've told you before, I, I probably say it just about every year, that one year I gave up for Lent every drink but water. And I did that solely because I heard someone else had done it, and I thought it sounded pretty impressive. Kind of tough. And what would I want to be any, more at all than impressive and tough? Our Lenten disciplines can saying they always are, but they can become a source of pride when the very thing the discipline is supposed to do is aid us in addressing our pride. Our disciplines are supposed to help us to be free of our relentless commitment to ourselves. And yet we easily twist them and use them to swell our sense of self. And incidentally, that year that I gave up every drink but water, I spent Lent ticked off and resentful and tired because coffee. <laughs> that year, I picked up a discipline that was only about me. Now, I'm sure it wasn't that way for the other person, the one that I had heard about. Uh, the problem was not that I gave up every drink but water. The problem was my own heart. Could I do it? Could I have the willpower? Could I be as tough as that other person? It really, in retrospect, had nothing to do with Jesus or with preparing myself for Good Friday or for Easter or even with offering myself to God in a meaningful way. It was a practice of religion, but it was not a practice of relationship with God. And that exact scenario is what's happening in our passage from Isaiah. Now, of course, Isaiah is writing 700 years before Jesus. They didn't have Lent in Isaiah's day, or in Jesus' day for that matter. But fasting that is giving something up, was a regular religious practice. And I want you to notice that it is not that they have stopped the religious practice. I mean, we might expect that God's lament is that 
Oh, they've stopped their fast. They've stopped their sacrifices. They've stopped their worship. They're going to play golf and going to Starbucks instead of going to church. That's not the problem at all. They're in church all the time. They're fasting regularly. Maybe it's from meat. Maybe it's from all food from time to time. The problem is not the practice. The problem is that the practice is not changing their hearts. And God says, day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. Rather than allowing their fasts and their other religious practices to cultivate holiness in their hearts, they are viewing these practices transactionally. Transactionally. Okay, God, I gave up meat. Now you give me what I want. Okay, God, I went to temple. Now you hold up your end of the deal. You bless my family. And they are irritated with God because it's not working like that. Why do we fast? But you're not seeing it. Why are we humbling ourselves if you're not even going to notice? And God responds, frankly, on your fast days, you're serving your own interests. You're still oppressing your workers. You're still fighting and quarreling with each other. You're still sitting idly by injustice and poverty. Your own family relationships are broken and you're hiding from them and you're pointing the finger and speaking evil. And on and on. He says, do you think, do you really think that I take delight in seeing your heads bowed low and seeing you in sackcloth and ashes as if that's my just fashion favorite? Do you think that's the point? Do you think I don't care that you're just going to go out from the temple and go about your business of promoting yourself at the expense of others? Essentially, that's, that's the same thing that Jesus is getting to in the gospel passage. The portion of the Sermon on the Mount. He says the hypocrites are praying on the street corner to be impressive. And man, the people are impressed. And that's their reward. And the hypocrites are fasting, but they are making sure everybody knows about it. To be impressive. And the people are impressed. And they're getting their reward. The people are impressed, but God is not. And again, just like in Isaiah, the problem was not a lack of religious practice. The problem was the, the, was the heart behind the religious practice. But you, says Jesus, but you just say your prayers and do your fasts in private. So that you can discipline yourself to be content with the fact that God sees you. God sees you. He is your reward, Jesus says. We would all do well in Lent to ask ourselves if in our hearts we consider God's notice and God's delight to be a sufficient reward. We would all do well in Lent 
to ask ourselves if in our hearts we consider God's notice and God's delight to be a sufficient reward. And so, let's talk about Lent. Let's talk about ashes. And then, let's talk about what we're giving up for Lent. I think you can probably see why these passages from Isaiah and Matthew are the passages with which we begin Lent pretty much every year. Because none of us escapes. None of us. Both of these passages close in on us and they force us to examine the most foundational impulses of our hearts and the motivation behind our so-called religious disciplines. And that examination will inevitably lead us to repentance. And so then Lent fundamentally must begin not with what we do for God, but with what God has done for us. Not with what we do for Jesus, but with what Jesus has done for us. We begin Lent by aiming for Good Friday's cross. Not in anticipation that Jesus will die for our sins on the cross, but we do so by, because Jesus has already died for our sins upon the cross. Why is sacrifice the way that we typically, typically prepare for Good Friday? It is because Good Friday says that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Our small sacrifices are not the means to the heart of God. Our small sacrifices are a reflection of the heart of God. Reflection. We make small sacrifices for him to remember his once and for all eternal sacrifice for us. Lent starts with his action, not ours. Lent starts with his sacrifice, not ours. Lent starts with Jesus giving up his life to save us, not with us giving up chocolate to prove our willpower to him. So friends, examine your hearts. Examine your hearts. And that brings us to the ashes. In just a minute, we're going to invite you to come up and receive ashes on your forehead in the, in the sign of the cross. And I want to assure you that these ashes do not come with any point value. They're not going to make you more righteous. There is no sense in which you should receive them or you should not receive them. Is this the fast that I choose, God might ask of us, to see you with ashes on your forehead in public? No. So why would we receive them? The ashes are a sign of humility. And we're going to put them on your forehead if you come forward. And we're going to say, remember that you are dust. And to dust you will return. In other words, remember that you're going to die so that you can make your best living choices now. And we're going to say the same thing to an infant 
or to the elderly, or to the rich, or to the poor, or to the self-righteous elder brothers, or uh, to the wild child prodigal sons. You're dust. And one day your body will be dust again. The ashes are a sign, a symbol, even a sacrament of our inherent smallness. But it's not just a smudge, is it? It's in the shape of a cross. Because the ashes also point us to the redemption that we have in Christ. Because out of death comes life. That's the Christian story, isn't it? More than likely, when you were baptized, there was a priest or a minister who made the sign of the cross on your forehead right in the same spot where we're going to put the ashes. And that minister said to you, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit in baptism and you are marked as Christ's own forever. The ashes humble us, but they also point us to our station as children of God, sealed and marked as Christ's own forever. If you decide to come up and get the ashes, I want you to see the ashes on your forehead. I want you to to, to take a minute in front of the mirror. Or you can just take a selfie. <laughs> and spend some time with the ashes on your forehead. You are dust. With <coughs> dust, you will return. And yet, you, you, are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and you are marked as Christ's own forever. Forever. So then what? Should, should you keep them on? Well, examine your heart. If you think, oh, I want people to see these ashes so that they'll know that I'm righteous, then please, by the mercy of God, wipe them off. But on the other hand, if you're sort of embarrassed by the cross, kind of afraid of what other people might think of you for having that, keep them on. Whatever direction your pride will pull you, go the opposite direction. So Lent begins with, not with our sacrifice, but with the sacrifice of Jesus. And the ashes humble us and point us to the cross. So what are you going to give up for Lent? I one time Googled the things that people give up for Lent, just sort of out of curiosity. You can give up shopping online, right? Um, you can give up your phone for a minute uh, <laughs> during dinner. Give up your phone during dinner was the thing. Give up social media. Give up music in your car. Give up gossip. Give up snacking. And of course, this article said, give up chocolate or all sweets. And let me just say that all those things, giving up social media, giving up music, whatever it is, giving up chocolate, all those things will add value to your life. Just as there could be value in Isaiah's day, bowing one's head low and donning sackcloth and ashes. It could add value to your life. But will they add Jesus to your life? That's the question, isn't it? Will it add Jesus to your life? And that depends on the posture 
of your heart. So what is the goal of your Lenten discipline? Because you know what? God does not want to see you go without chocolate unless every time you impulsively reach for chocolate, you're reminded to be grateful for Jesus' sacrifice for you. Your chosen discipline should cultivate holiness. It should cultivate your relationship with Jesus and bless the world around you. So, Perhaps instead of just giving up social media, you might use that time to volunteer, maybe at a food bank. Maybe instead of giving up snacking, we also give the money we would have spent on those snacks to a mission agency, like World Vision or Her Song or St. Mary's Church downtown. Maybe instead of scrolling through or Amazon or shopping online, you could just use that time to read scripture. The point of Lenten disciplines is not to prove ourselves, but to cultivate our heart's holiness. To to develop the discipline and the love of drawing nearer and nearer and nearer to the Lord of life. To make a meaningful Lent, don't just give up something that's really not all that inconvenient. But find something that will help you give up yourself. To find, uh, find something that will help you give up yourself to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe give up telling people what you're giving up. And let that sacrifice create intimacy with you and God because he's the reward. So what are you giving up for Lent?